Thanks for listening to the Three Strands podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. So uh, I don't know if this is your first week here in this series or if you've been here every week, but if you haven't been here yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the podcasts of the earlier um, sessions from this series because it's really like a six-week-long sermon. It's about a three, three-and-a-half-hour sermon spread out over six weeks, and so this is the last piece of the puzzle, so you can catch up on the other ones uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Three Strands Church and you'll find us. But um, today's it. Some of you are relieved. Some of you are discouraged. You wish it would be longer, but I'm thankful for those of you who have gleaned a lot of good stuff out of this and have put some stuff into practice and are trying to uh, improve the relationships in your life, whether it's family or friends, um, coworkers, classmates, the people that are closest to you and surround your life, trying to develop healthier, better, stronger relationships with them. I'm glad you're doing that. So thank you guys for listening and not just hearing God's word, but going out of here and putting it into practice. So today is the piece of the puzzle that the rest of it all hinges on. And, and, and maybe this should have been the first week, I don't know, but it felt like the right week for the last week. So the other five pieces of power that we taught from God's word that you can pour into your relationships, they won't work without this one. They all stem out of this one. They all hang on this one. You won't set any healthy priorities for your family. You won't love people in your life correctly. You won't extend mercy to others. You won't serve anybody, and you won't really care how your words are affecting the people around you if you don't believe this one we're going to teach today. It's the top of the notch, the pinnacle, the most important one. All the other pieces of power for your relationships flow from this one. It's the power of selflessness. I know there's like 12 of you just want to like get up and walk out now, right? Like, I don't want to hear about this, but it's the power of selflessness. Now, everybody knows this is an important piece of any healthy relationship when they first get into a relationship because it's really easy to get into relationships, but it's hard to maintain them. Has anybody else found that to be true? I mean, if you just look around our world, it's easy to see that. I mean, how many marriages are there only to be followed by divorces, right? And, and how many um, parents at the hospital are like so excited and happy to stay up for three straight days with your newborn baby only to like not even want to look at their face by the time they're 12 or 13, right? It's like, how is that that it's so easy to be selfless and to get into a relationship, but it's really hard to maintain being selfless and maintain a healthy relationship. That's really what we're going to talk about today because this is the key factor to maintaining healthy relationship status, to be able to live selflessly, to uh, unleash the power of selflessness on the people around you. So why is it? Why is it that I and can get into a relationship so easily, but it's so hard for me to maintain it. I'm going to tell you why. Here's why. You ready? Because when a relationship starts, whether it's with a girlfriend or boyfriend, or you're courting somebody, or it's just a new friend you meet on the job or at school, or a new family member that is adopted into the family or is born into the family and you have to get along. When that first happens, everybody tries really hard to be nice. Everybody tries really hard to be focused on the other person's needs, 
attentive to what they want and feel, listen closely to them. I mean, you all know it to be true. Every guy in the room knows that they dated some girl, that they listened to every word she had to say, only to get married someday and her start to think you've lost your hearing, right? Because now you can't seem to hear a thing. And everybody is, uh, when you get into a friendship and you start a new friendship with somebody, it's like you're eager to help them out. And if they need somebody to help them move, you're there. But then after you get to know them for a while, you're busy. You know what I'm talking about? They need help fixing something at their house. And the first few weeks or months of the friendship, you'll bring your toolkit. You'll go to Lowe's and buy them a new uh, pressure washer and come pressure wash their whole house for them. But after you've been friends for a year or two, then all of a sudden the phone just rings and you don't even pick it up. You don't respond to the text. You change the settings in your iPhone so they don't even know you read it. Right? What happened? We all get into relationships eager to be selfless eager to help the other person, eager to be attentive to what they want and need, trying our hardest because we desperately want the relationship to grow, but then somewhere along the way, we get lazy. We start to think about what we, what we want. We start to get us focused instead of others focused. And the husband and wife looking at each other, thinking to themselves, it wasn't like this when we were dating we did a lot of stuff together. We could always talk. They always had time for me. Now it feels like you go weeks without even having a real conversation. The friends that you used to be so close with, you thought you were going to ride or die with them the rest of your life, and now you don't even have time to hang out. What happened? Because when we were tight, when it first started, we had time for you. We made time for you. We were involved and caring about how you felt. But somewhere along the way, we got lazy and started to care more about what we felt. We got complacent. Got complacent. We started to get selfish. And I'm not judging you. I do it too. We all do that. But we got selfish. And that selfishness has led to trouble in our relationships, difficulty, distance. And, and the Bible would say it this way in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 25, selfishness only causes trouble. But trusting the Lord leads to prosperity trouble. And we get into this trouble in our relationships and don't know how to get out. And we think, don't I deserve to be happy? And now all of a sudden I'm not happy and I don't know how to change anything to be less selfish. I feel like I'm helping and serving the other person, but yet there's this distance and maybe I am guilty of just being too selfish. And at the root of selfishness for everybody is this core belief. I'm going to give you this core belief. If you're a note taker today, you are in your sweet spot. There's going to be notes all over the place today for you, all right? So, but I'm going to give you this core belief. If you act selfishly every time you do it, there's a core belief, whether you realize it or not, this is the core belief. Here it is. You ready? That I must take care of me because God won't do it. I must take care of me because God won't take care of me. And before any of the English teachers or like, you know, uh, advanced placement English. I'm taking dual credit English in high school kids come up to me after church. I know that that's supposed to say I must take care of myself. But I was trying to make it match. You understand what I'm doing there, right? Don't judge me, all right? I must take care of me because God won't take care of me. Every time I act selfishly, inside I have made a decision that nobody else, including God, is going to meet my needs. And so I got to step up to the plate and make sure I get taken care of. That's what selfishness really is. 
It's this belief deep down that if I don't act, if I don't demand my way, if I don't enforce some rules around here, I'm going to get abused and not get satisfied. So I got to start taking care of me and everything in the world around us is begging you to live that way. That you should have it your way and that why not you deserve a break today. And every slogan from every ad company for every product out there is trying to think of a way to communicate to you that you got to step up to the plate and take care of yourself because you deserve everything. And so you start to get selfish. And it causes trouble in your relationships. And you get stuck and aren't sure what to do. But this isn't a new thing. Paul communicated the exact same thing to Timothy. He said to Timothy that in his community, and listen, in his church, this isn't like, I know, I know like church people, some of y'all are church people. So, some of y'all aren't church people. That's okay, you're in the right spot if you're not a church person. But so, I know church people sometimes like to think like, this is something for all of them, right? But I want you to know, Paul wrote, writes to Timothy, and he says, all the people in your community and all the people in your church are going to start to act selfishly. And he describes what it's going to look like for him. This is what he says to him. Let me read it to you. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 2. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. For people will love only themselves. That's selfish. They're going to love only themselves. They're going to live selfishly and their money. Now listen to the rest of this list. They will be boastful and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Some of y'all lifting your feet off the ground right now, right? It's getting deep. Or you just tuned it out. Maybe you just tuned it out. Listen to the rest. They will consider nothing sacred or holy. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless, be conceited, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but will reject the very power that could actually make them godly. Paul says to Timothy, the people around you, close or not close, stranger or friend, in your community or right in the pew beside you, are going to act selfish. And this is what selfishness looks like. And he lists off for him in these three verses, four verses, he lists off for him 18 characteristics of selfishness. Now, if you're a note taker, you have to write fast or just get your phone out and take some pictures of the screen, okay? Because I'm going to roll through these again so you can see what they were. I just read it to you in God's word. But here's the characteristics of selfishness. Now, I'm not grading you. It's not my job to grade you. I don't have to grade you. You can grade yourself. This is a self-examination today. But you ask yourself this question while I'm rolling through this list. How many of these characteristics would you say are more often than not the way you are viewed by your homies, by the people you're tightest with, by the people in your friends and family sphere of influence, right? Here, here's the characteristics he lists that describe what selfishness looks like. Right? Here's what he said. He said, they're going to be lovers of money, lovers of money. This is like materialistic. Stuff seems to matter to them more than people. Is that you? Are you guilty of that? You, you know, it's like you're so concerned about the carpet you can't even love people because when they come into your house, you're just more worried about them taking their shoes off than actually like being their friend. And I remember like hearing this story of a, a mom whose kids were all grown up and they left the house and she said, man, I wish I could go back in time 
and care more about my kids and less about how they messed my house up. I'm not saying you should trash your house. I'm just saying a characteristic of selfishness is you seem to care more about stuff than about people, right? Lovers of money. They love money. Here's the second one. He says boastful. They're boastful. They love to draw attention to their own accomplishments. The more you talk about all the great things you've done and all the great things you are, probably the more selfish you are. Boastful. They're arrogant. In other words, they have an inflated view of their self. They're abusive. They're constantly verbally tearing people down around them. Do you see the people in your life that you call friends and families, co-workers and classmates, do you see their spirits deflate when you talk? Abusive. They're disobedient to not just their parents, like this passage says, but in this context of culture, their parents would have represented their preeminent authority. So it's really like they're disobedient to authority, is what he's saying. They're ungrateful because they think they deserve everything. That's what selfish people think. So they're pretty ungrateful. So if you can't remember the last time you told anybody thank you, you just might be selfish. You with me on this? Is this, uh, is this too hard? You guys want me to like, should I, we quit and do something fluffier? Like gumdrops and roses instead? Or should we just keep like talking about the truth? What do you think? All right, keep going. Michael says keep going. They're ungrateful. They're unappeasable. They're unappeasable. In other words, they're unwilling to forgive. They're grudge holders, right? If you're a grudge holder, if you can make a list in your head right now of all the people you'd like to see dead, you might just be selfish. You ready? Is that, is that oh, the wrong person won an election or the person at the office that looked at you the wrong way or said something behind your back and you just automatically crossed them off your list? Now you'd rather them just be dead. You might just be self-centered. I'm just saying. You might be. I'm not. I mean, I'm not just saying. I mean, Paul's kind of just saying. If you're unappeasable, if you can't be appeased, if you won't forgive anybody, they're slanderous. In other words, they're gossiping about everybody else. They've always got something negative to say about somebody, and they're willing to twist and bend anybody else's words so that they'll sound like they've got a story to tell somebody around them slanderous. They're without self-control. They just do whatever they feel like doing. They never really tell themselves no. And they're willing to step over anybody or go into whatever debt they have to to uh, satisfy whatever it is they feel like doing. They have no self-control. They can't say no to themselves. They're brutal. They have no gentleness or tenderness or compassion for anyone else. I'd go so far to say on this one, like, if you can't remember the last time you actually felt bad for somebody else. I love it how, like, in our culture, it's like a, a badge of honor if you don't cry. But, man, if nothing ever happens that, like, makes you a little teary-eyed, it's possible you don't have any compassion for the people around you. Because people hurt. They're brutal. They're not loving good, he says. They're unable to love good things. They can't take any joy in things that are right. They can only find joy in things that are sinful. You ever been around somebody that's like this? They, they never laugh until the joke is filthy. They never find joy unless somebody else is in pain or hurting. 
They can't find any joy in the simple things of life. It's beyond them. Like they can't take any joy in things that are right. They're treacherous, he says. In other words, they're willing to break their word to benefit themselves. You can't trust what they say because they'll break any promise they've made if it betters them. They'll go back on their word anytime they want. They'll say one thing one day and then talk out of the other side of their mouth the next day. Treacherous. They're reckless. In other words, they'll take all kinds of risks just to impress other people. Just so you'll think I'm cool, so you'll think I'm fun, so you'll think I'm uh, adventurous. They're reckless with their life. They're conceited, he says. In other words, they can only see beauty in themselves. Any accomplishment or achievement somebody else makes is okay, but have you heard what I've done? Because that's really good stuff, you know? And when somebody else does have an accomplishment, they're usually quick to point out how they've done that a little better already. Conceited. Then he says they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In other words, they find more satisfaction in physical pleasure than they find in any kind of divine encounter. Sitting on the back deck, looking at nature, reading God's word and praying, that doesn't really satisfy them very much. They just crave physical pleasure. The next high, the next high of inappropriate sexualness, the next high of something I can do just to satisfy my own appetite. That's the only stuff that makes them feel filled up. The simple things and spending time with the Lord and worshiping Him, those things don't bring any pleasure to them. You can usually tell if this is you if you just look around the church service. And I don't do this because I did this once and then all the guys I pointed this out to you, like now they're all self-conscious that I'm looking at them during church. But I'm not, I promise. I even sat in the front today so I wouldn't be looking at anybody. But you can usually tell they're the ones looking around, like in the church service, you look around, they look like death. You know what I'm talking about? Like somebody put a gun to their head, like, you better go through the doors of that church, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And they're like, all right, I guess I'll go. And then they stand there the whole time like this. And the worship leaders are up front, they're like, worship the Lord, let's get out. And they're like, worship the Lord. I don't got time for that. Miserable, because they don't find any pleasure in spending time with the Lord. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of of God. And then he finally ends it up with this one. I love this one. Man, this could not be more true in our culture today. He says they have an appearance of godliness. They have an appearance of godliness. In other words, they look religious, but they've actually denied the only power that could set them free and make them really godly. What is that power? It's the power of selflessness. They've denied it. They look the part. They know the words to say. They might know the words of the song because they listen to Caleb and they think they're like real godly. They know what to say, when to say it, and who to say it to just to sound perfect. But deep down inside, they've actually denied the whole idea of surrendering themselves to the Lord. Selflessness. This is what selfishness looks like. This is what Paul describes it as. Is it what you look like? If you're sitting there right now saying, no, it's not what I look like, I got news for you today. You're probably a liar on top of all that because we all kind of look like that. If we're going to get honest here, if we're going to be real about what's going on, the truth is that we're all guilty of these qualities sometimes. Some of us more than others, some of us maybe all the time, but we're all selfish 
At the center of all that selfishness is pride. It's this thought that what I want and what I need is more important than what anybody else wants or needs. It's pride. You know what's at the middle? We did a sermon on this about a year ago today, actually, I think, or a year ago this week, about pride. Come on, Michael, you're with me, right? What's at the very middle? Yeah, the monster in me. What's at the very middle of pride? It's a big I, right? What's at the middle of pride and all sin? I. So at the middle of all my selfishness is pride. At the middle of all my selfishness is this big I. Now, I know some of you are like real smart, and you have husbands that fish a lot, and you're thinking, I thought at the middle of selfishness was fish. But I'm telling you, at the middle of all your selfishness is an I. That I matter more. That'll hit you later. You'll get that later today, okay? Spell it out, you'll see. But really, at the middle of all of your selfishness is this idea that what I want and what I need is more important than anybody I have to step on to get it and anybody I have to betray, stab in the back, lie to, con, do whatever I got to do to take care of me because God isn't going to do it. So I got to step up and do it. We're all guilty of it. And the question for today, I guess, is, is there a cure? There is a cure. I found a second paragraph in the Bible I'd like to read you real quick. It's the cure. It's another list. Now, I'm going to read it to you out of a different translation, a paraphrase called the Living Bible. But if you go back and read this in any literal translation, King James, New King James, uh, NASB, uh, ESV, something like that, if you read it, you'll see a second list, just like the list I read you of selfish characteristics. You're going to see a second list of selfless characteristics. But I'm going to read it to you in a paraphrase. I think it beautifully details what we need to hear this morning. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1. The words will be on the screen. You can look it up if you want. But 2 Peter chapter 1, let me read you the cure or the opposite of selfishness, what selflessness looks like. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6, this is what it says. Learn to put aside your own desires, okay, your own desires, so that you will become patient and godly, gladly letting God have his way with you. This will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. And you will finally grow to love them deeply. Does that sound like relationships that are getting healthier and stronger and better? All right, stay with me. The more you go on in this way, the more you will grow strong spiritually and become fruitful and useful to our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the more selfish you get, the smaller the group of people around you has to get. Because a lot of people start to get sick of you, and you start to get sick of them. They won't even do stuff for me. They won't even help me. They don't even care about me. You start to shrink that group down to only the people who are going to serve you. And, and the people that were around you, they get a little frustrated because, like, man, they always want me to do something. So they, they start to stay away from you. And your group gets smaller. And before long, you can't seem to get along with anybody. And when you get home from work every day, all you really do now is complain about the people you work with because they all stink. And when you go home from church, all you do is talk about how arrogant and annoying those people are and how you don't fit in with any of them because none of them really seem to like you. And when you get home from school, you sit in your room and you think to yourself, like, I don't even have any friends possible that it's just because we've been selfish. 
possible. But this is the answer, the cure for people starting to like you and you starting to like them and wanting to be around them and finally loving them like God wants you to love them and becoming useful to Jesus' calling on your life. This is the cure for that selfishness. Maybe you're like me. I used to sell cars for a living. I've told people this before, but I used to sit around the car lot with other salesmen and I'd be like, man, this would be the best job in the world if it wasn't for people. And a lot of us got jobs just like that, don't you? You think to yourself, like, this would be the greatest job. Teachers going to school saying, this would be the best job ever if there were no other people here. But I got news for you. Like, we're all in the people business. Whether you work in an office by yourself or, or you are homeschooled or you uh, uh, don't even have a husband or wife or you don't have any kids yet. or No matter what your stage in life, we're all in the people business. And the more selfish you get, the worse job you do at your business. And the more selfish you become, the more isolated you get, the smaller and smaller that group gets, and to where everybody else around you is just stupid. And you end up a grumpy old man. And that's how it happens. You ever wonder, like, oh, that guy's always alone. How do you get like that? This is how he got like that. You're not going to find any one- and two-year-olds that are like, put me in a room by myself. I hate people. They all want to be picked up and hugged. What happened? This is what happened. I got selfish. I tried hard for a while, but at some point I got lazy. And I was like, no, it's got to be about me. So how do I do it? How do I live selflessly instead of selfishly? I'm going to share one more paragraph from God's Word with you today. Okay, a third paragraph. It's the blueprint for how you stop being selfish and how you start living selflessly. Can I give it to you? It's just a, a four-step blueprint. I'm going to read you the paragraph first. I'll give you all four pieces of the puzzle. And I promise you, if you'll go out of here today, not just hear what we say, but do these four things in your life, you will make every relationship you have better, stronger, healthier. I promise. Not because I say it, but because God says it. You ready? Let me, let me give you the paragraph first. It's in Philippians chapter 2, it starts in verse 3. It's the best paragraph, best chapter in the whole Bible on how to live a selfless life. I'm going to give it to you. Ready? Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Let me read you a few of the verses. Don't be selfish. Is that what we're talking about? Don't be selfish. All right, now here's the rest of it. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, it's just three verses, three, four, and five, three verses. But in there, there's four steps that if you'll do them, you will be less selfish and more selfless. And every relationship you have will improve because of it. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I wish my marriage was better. I wish my rapport with my kids was better. I wish I could get along with more people at work. This is the answer. After today, you got nobody to blame but yourself. You can't walk out of here and be like, well, God didn't even show me the way to do it. Yes, he's going to show you right now. We're going to walk you through it together, okay? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. And here's what he says. I don't know if you caught it or not. The very beginning of verse 3, he says, kill your pride. Kill your pride. You can't entertain it. You can't pretend like it's cute. 
You can't coddle it or act like it's just, oh, it's a little shortcoming of mine. I'm still working on that. God's still working on me in that area. No, you got to drag that thing out into the middle of the street and stab it in the heart. I know it's pretty violent. I know we got like nine-year-olds in here and all that. But like, chill with me for a second. They watch shows on TV and stuff. You got to kill your pride. You can't give it a minute of space in your life. Now, how does he say to do that? He starts the passage off by saying, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Now, in some translations of the Bible, like when I grew up in church, that, that, that says, uh, in everything you do, or do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit or vain glory, right? That's the translation I grew up with, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain glory or vain ambition or vain... Uh, yeah, vainglory. Empty, emptiness. Do nothing for yourself. Empty selfishness, right? Kill your pride. This is the two pieces of it, he says. So let me just give you both of those. Don't be selfish was the first one, right? Don't be selfish. Or like I said in some translations, selfish ambition. This is where it's just all about me. It's all about me. So I got to stop making life all about me. It's not about me being happy. It's not about me getting everything I want. And if I do that, I'm going to wreck my relationship. Look what James says about it in James 3, verse 16. He says, for wherever there is jealousy, and here's that same word in Greek, and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Now, how do I do it? Hang in there with me. Now, if you're like, I don't know. Do I do things out of selfish ambition? I'm going to tell you how you know. James says it to us. Here's how you know. Look around your life. If you think my life is in chaos, selfish ambition. If you look around your life and it's in disorder, you might just be doing things out of selfish ambition. How else can I tell? If you look around your life and it's packed full of evil, evil of every kind, selfish ambition. You got it? Look around your life. Be honest with yourself. Is there a lot of chaos and disorder around me? Or is there a lot of evil coming out of me? And if there is, it's possible you haven't killed your pride. You're doing things out of selfish ambition. Here was the second part, right? He says, don't try to impress others. Or in some translations, it says vainglory or empty conceit. Empty conceit. Vain is just another way of saying empty. So empty conceit. And this is like the idea, like, I'm always right. Everything I do, I'm always right. I'm going to let everybody know about it. I'm always right. Emptiness, conceit inside of you. No matter what you say or do, you have to be correct. Now look, listen to this. I'm going to read this to you out of the Living Bible too. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Does this sound like you? You ready? He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now there's a huge list that comes right after that, and I left it out. You can go back and read that on your own. Galatians 5, 19, and 20. When I follow the desires of my sinful nation, nature, the results are very clear. This huge list that involves like, I do all this sexual sin. I think only of myself. All this stuff. I left a lot of that out because I'm just showing you the part that ties into what we're talking to today. But your life gets messed up is what he's saying. If you live only for your sinful nature. But here, look at what he says in the second part of verse 20. This is the results of when you live that way. Hatred, fighting, jealousy, anger, a constant effort to get the best for yourself, and then look, co complaints and criticism. Is that you? Now, how do I know if I always have to be right? Look around your life and be honest. 
Are you full of hatred? Are you full of fighting with people around you? Are you always jealous and angry? Is there a constant effort for you to prove you're the best to everybody? Are you complaining and criticizing everyone and everything around you? If you are, if you find yourself doing those things, you just might be guilty of not killing your pride. You got to kill your pride. You got to kill your pride. But that is the second piece in the second half of verse three. You got to be humble. You got to be humble. Isn't that what he said? Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Instead, be humble. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Is that what verse 3 said? Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Now, it's impossible to be humble and hide. So what he's talking about here is you got to be real. you got to be exposed. you got to be honest. you got to be, stop walking around pretending like you got it all together and you're perfect, and instead be real about how messed up you are. Because that's what humble looks like. And every time you front like you've got it all figured out in life, you are guilty of not being humble. And you're acting selfishly. In my life group, now they're not all here tonight, but in my life group, I'm not calling anybody out because you know what happens in life groups when people stay in life group. So I'm not allowed to tell you what they really said or did. But in my life group this last week, there was these couple people in my group. I'm just going to say people. I'm not going to say who that girls, guys, kids, adults. I'm not going to say who it was. A couple people in my group. And they were sharing a lot of like awesome stuff about their life. And then at one point, one of them said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for sharing so much about my life. And another one said, me too. And I was like, whoa, whoa. You don't ever need to apologize for being honest about the real you. You should be apologizing for hiding the real us. You need to be real. That's what humility looks like. Get honest. Get real. Own the fact that you're weak and you got problems. That's okay. What's not okay is to pretend like you don't got problems. This is Kenny's thing. He says it all the time. If I mess it up, you'll have to correct me. But he always say, it's okay to come into this church and not be okay. But it's not okay to come into this church and pretend like you're okay. Is that right? Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's Kenny's thing. I stole his line, but he hadn't trademarked it, so I'm good to go. So you can look the rest of that up on your own. Galatians 5, 19, and 20. you got to kill your pride. you got to be humble. And then here's the third one. It's in verse 4 of Philippians 2. you got to sacrifice for others you got to sacrifice for others. Is that what he said in verse 4? Look back at Philippians 2.4. He said, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And what he's really talking about here is not just doing a bunch of stuff, but he's actually talking about caring about other people, isn't he? Take an interest in them. I guess another way to say it would be this. Pay attention. Pay attention. You know how many people that you call homies, your friends and family, whose lives will be better if you just pay attention to what they say sometimes? Listen to them with both ears instead of half an ear because you're watching a game or you're thinking about the next thing you got to get done? Pay attention to them. You could energize the people in your life. You know how many husbands would be energized if you just go home today and watch them do some project around the house? Husbands like that. I know you think it's weird. It's weird. I get it. But we like that. We like to be watched doing cool stuff and you to be like, you did a good job at that. We like that. I know they're not going to say it because they're rough and tough and they think that's not manly to say that. But they want you to appreciate them. Watch them. You know how many wives would be energized if you just turned the football game off and looked them in the eye when you talked for just like 10 minutes? Energized. You know how many kids would feel way more valuable 
if you just sat down, had a real conversation with them over a dinner, just talk to them about their day. I know their day isn't interesting. I know you don't really care that they colored in a giraffe, but just ask them about it. If you just pay attention to them a little bit, they'll find a lot of value, and your relationship with them will get way better. You know who? You know what adult kids look back and say, man, I loved hanging out with mom and dad. They always had something encouraging. You know who, which adult kids do that? The ones whose mom and dad sat down with them and looked at them when they colored a giraffe. I know it's not fun, but do you want a healthy relationship or not? I'm not talking about fun. Killing my pride isn't fun. Being humble isn't fun. Uh, sacrificing for others isn't fun. But when I start to view my inconveniences as a privilege, it shows that I really care about you. Think about it for a second. What dad laying in bed at night doesn't get a call from his uh, adult child, says, I'm broke down on the side of the road, and they say, I don't got time for that. Don't call me anymore. It's the middle of the night. No, you view that inconvenience as a privilege of being a dad, don't you? You get up and you go save the day. When I start to view those inconveniences, I don't have time to listen to you. Yes, I do. It's a privilege to listen to you. I know you're going to tell me the same thing you told me yesterday, but I'm going to listen anyhow. When I start to view those things as a privilege, I start to take my relationships to a whole new level. I start to sacrifice for others. And then he says, you got to copy Jesus' attitude. Copy Jesus' attitude. Look back with me at verse, uh, what was it, verse 5. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must. Now, I have to teach myself to have Jesus' attitude. I have to train myself. It won't just happen naturally. If only he had told me what Jesus' attitude was like. He did. Can I read it to you? It's the very next three verses, verses 6 to 8. This is what he says. This is his description of Jesus' attitude that we're supposed to copy. You ready? Though Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is Jesus' attitude that we're supposed to copy. You ready? It was three things he said. In verse 6, he said, don't demand what I think I deserve. Jesus was God, but didn't demand that everybody give him the credit he deserves. Didn't demand a bunch of privileges. He, all the things you think you're entitled to, all the things you think they should do that for me because they're my child, they should want to do that because they're my spouse, if they really love me, they'd all those things, give up all those things just like Jesus did. That's his attitude we're supposed to copy. Stop demanding what you think you deserve. And then in verse 7, he says, look for ways to serve others, right? Instead, Jesus got humble, and he took upon himself the humble position of a servant, a slave. You look for ways to serve other people around you. That was attitude, piece number three, two. And then piece number three to Jesus' attitude was, he does what's right. Even when it hurts, you, you read it at the end there, he said, in fact, he even obeyed God when it cost him his own life. Now, none of you have obeyed Jesus to the point of death yet. So don't tell me you've done what he's done. We can still obey God even when it's going to hurt us, even when it's going to cost us, even when it's not what I want to do and it's going to inconvenience me. I don't demand what I think I deserve. I look for ways to serve others and I do what's right even when it hurts. Is that the way you live? Is that the attitude you're copying? Because if not, then maybe you've been selfish and not copying Jesus' attitude. 
I thought of this like kind of silly little illustration for myself this week as I was studying, but you ever drive down the road and you see, now if you live in McCreary, you guys are going to see, if you live in McCreary County, you're going to see this at some point. You drive down the road and out the side window, you see somebody threw a garbage bag. You know what I'm talking about? They decided that the garbage dump was somehow the side of the road. So they threw three, you just shrunk down in your seats. <laughs> if you did that, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying I've seen that in the county a lot, right? You throw a garbage bag out the window. You ever drive down the road, see a garbage bag on the side of the road? When you see that garbage bag, all of us could see the same garbage bag, but you could have like four or five different thoughts when you see it. So I'm going to give you a couple examples of thoughts you might have when you see some garbage on the side of the road. You decide which one you have when you see it. Right? There's the, you could see that garbage on the side of the road, and you could say to yourself, that's such a shame. That's such a shame. Whoever did that should be put in jail. At least fine. It's ridiculous. People are jerks. <laughs> okay, that could be your thought. I'm not saying I haven't had these thoughts. I'm just saying it could be a thought. You could see that garbage on the side of the road. And you could think to yourself, oh, that is so sad. Somebody ought to come along and clean that up. Could you think that? Right? You, you could drive down the road, pass a garbage bag on the side of the road, and you could be like, what garbage? Like, I didn't even see it. Right? That could be you. Okay? You don't even see the garbage there. You could drive down the road. There could be a garbage bag on the side of the road, and you could see it, and you could be like, hmm, I ought to stop and get out and pick that up. Now, let me ask you. We all saw the same garbage bag. Which one of those choices is selfish and which one is selfless? I get it. I'm not trying to get you to pick up garbage. Like, I'm not trying to lobby for anybody to adopt a highway. I'm trying to get you to live selflessly. Because Jesus says if you do, it'll make everybody in your life closer to you. It'll make your relationships better. That's what I'm trying to get you to do. You can pick up as much garbage as you want, but, but I'm just telling you, like, this is what selfish, selfish and selflessness look like. Now, what was Jesus' reward for living that way? What would be my reward if I lived that way? It's the very next verse, verse 9 of Philippians 2. Look what happened. Therefore, because Jesus lived that way, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names. I want that. You want that, even if you don't know you want that. You want a good name. You want your kids someday to look back and be like, Mom, she was faithful. Dad, he was always there for me. You want a brother or a sister in your life that's like, I know they got my back. I know I can tell them anything and they'll help me out. You want friends in your life that you think, anytime they call, anytime I call them, I know they'll come help. Anytime I ask them to pray, I know they're there for me. You, you want that. You want a name that's dependable and reliable and honorable. And if you get that, you will have better relationships. You don't want to be known as the guy that can't be depended on, the guy that always breaks his word, the guy that flies off the handle if something doesn't go his way, the guy that throws a fit and pouts when nobody, somebody doesn't serve him. Is that what you want to be? No, you want, somebody, you want to be somebody with a good name. Even if you don't know that's what you want, that's what you want. Proverbs 22.1 says it like this. Choose a good name over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Is it for you? Because this is how you maintain healthy relationships. This is how you live selflessly. This is how you take your relationships to a whole new level. And it's actually the only thing that works. Everything else falls short. Now the Bible calls this way of living, this selflessness, the Bible calls this way of living dying to myself. It's dying to yourself. 
That's what living selflessly looks like. It's dying to myself. And it always makes me think of Galatians 2.20 that says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I still live. It's not I, it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live only by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't live anymore. I have died to me. And it's only Jesus that lives in me now. And anything else besides that is selfishness. And anything else besides that will hurt my relationships. I have to die to myself every day. It's what all the homies in your life need the most. They need to see you dying to your desires. They need to see you living for Jesus' desires. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says it this way. If you're here and you claim to be a Christian, this verse is talking to you. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's code for those who claim to be a Christian, those who claim to be in Christ, those who belong to Christ Jesus, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. They have died to their self. They have died to self. That's what selfless living looks like. That's what the people around you need. They need to see you dying to yourself and living for Jesus. They need to desperately, desperately, they need to see you dying to live for Jesus. Is that what they see? Or do they see Jesus as just some like act of religion, but you're really denying the power that can make you God? Is it just some chip in your, your change purse? Is it just some notch on your belt? Is it just something else to check off on the whiteboard of your life? To say, look what I did. I went to church. Look what I did. I don't cuss. Look what I did. I gave up drinking. What, whatever you want to fill in the blank for. Look what I did. Sounds a lot like vain conceit to me. Sounds a lot like selfishness. So I want to challenge you today. There's no altar call. There's no just as I am, 32 verses of just as I am. We're not going to uh, replay the fourth verse 32 times, wait for you to walk down the aisle. I'm not going to smack you on the head. We're not going to have you sign any card. It's between you and the God of the universe right now. You get to come in here, and I did my job. You got to hear God's word. Now, are you going to go out of here today and do it, or are you just going to be a hearer only? It's on you now. The ball's back in your court. Are you going to go out of here today and live selfishly or live selflessly? Because if you want to live selflessly, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die to yourself. Because at some point today, you're going to want to do something that's going to hurt somebody else's feelings. You're going to want to demand something from somebody else. You're going to let, let them know how they should serve you. You're going to throw a fit because you didn't get your own way. You're going to feel all that stuff. And you've got to make a decision to pull that stuff out of your heart and nail it on the cross of Jesus. And say, not on my watch. On my watch, I'm dead to me. And I'm only going to spew out kindness. I'm only going to serve others. I'm going to be humble and be honest about my real struggles. I'm going to kill that pride, and I'm going to live for Jesus. That's your choice. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we give the people in our room the courage to act on your word today. To not just hear it, but to do it. To not just listen, but to go out and live it. God, would you give us that kind of uh, power, that kind of faith? Uh, we want to believe, God. Help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. I know it's hard truth, but help us to live selflessly so we will take our relationships to a whole new level. God, we want to live 
like you want us to live. Will you give us the power today to unleash selflessness on the people around us? In Jesus' name, we beg you for that. Amen.